Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Starping the Universe On Call. I am Paul Franz, owner of Franz Games. I run SFB Online, FedCom Online, and Starfleet Warlord. Just a reminder how to join us for a talk guest every Thursday and starting at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. You can either call on the phone to dial 605-562-0444. Just follow the directions of the call ID 17702. Or you can participate on the web. Just go to the talk's website at www.talkshoe.com and start to call ID 17702 or SFU on call or Starfleet Universe on call in any of those, then you'll find us. And of course, if you want the best online experience, what you want to have is you want to go to twitch.tv. Yes, twitch.tv slash SFU on call. And you will find us there. And you'll be able to join us in that wonderful chat room and just listen in on such a wonderful discussion for that evening or topic, depending upon the night. And of course, if you need to contact me for any reasons, my email address is SFU on call at gmail.com. That's S-F-U-O-N-C-A-L-L at gmail.com. Also, if you want to follow me on Twitter, X, whatever they call it this week, um, you can follow me on SFU on call, or you want to follow my personal account, that's going to be Paul Franz, P-A-U-F-R-N-Z, no T in that. And also, if you want to follow the, the business account, which you can find out about what's happening on the SFU Online Fed, come online and Starfleet Warlord. Follow Franz Games, F-R-N-Z-G-M-E-S. Again, no T. Don't ask me. Um, and of course, this lovely talk cast gets to the podcast available on iTunes and various other feeds around the net. Um, quick news from ADB this week. Steve Petrick is still working on that wonderful Orion Master Starship book. Also, the found in the online store for this week is the f Planetary Operations 2021. It's $24.95. Planetary Operations are more, has more rules for f It is newly improved and updated, having gone through extensive review and discussion during StratCon 2021. All rules questions from ADB Incorporated BBS have been addressed to provide the best experience for every empire. And there are always there are new rules for combat. That's the rule three hundred section repairs. That's rule four twenty section economics. That's four thirty through four fifty section and special rules, which is the five hundred section. It also includes four scenarios, and that's going to be in the six hundred section. Moving on and forward to SFB Online, um, the Sapphire Star fifteen tournament will be. Starting up very soon, the signups will be available as of this weekend. Moving onward to the um, online client stuff, we have actually a fix for the general units where they were not launching seeking weapons if you had selected a um, refit. For, for that, it would not actually launch like drones or plasma or shuttles, things like that, you know, minor things like that. Um, 
that's now that is now fixed. Um, now also when it comes to the library report, there's minor uh, things happening with the general units. I fix them so it will fix it at, for the current moment for all general units. Well, not all general, but at least the battle station, the base station, the the star base. I think that's it. There might there, there might be one. I did not. I got to check it. If the mobile base uh, has the same issue, and I would, definitely it is, I will fix it. Now, um, I'm going to be working on those to fix those up a little to be a little better than than they currently are with the refits and all. Um, but in the meantime, those have been updated. There will be some more updates to the Klingon ships on their look and feel. So I. I got those from Frank. I just have not had a chance to upload them. So with that, that is the news for this week. And it's me, it's the one Paul Funds, welcoming you to Star Trek Universe on call. And tonight, actually we have quite a crowd. It's awesome. And tonight we have with us Gary. Say hi, Gary. Hi, Gary. And we have Jeff here. Yeah, Jeff. Good evening, everyone. <laughs> and last and certainly not least, we have Mr. Howard. How are you doing, Doug? I'm here. How are you guys doing tonight? Thank you. Good. Thank you very much. <laughs> right better than last week, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely quite a crowd compared to last week, which is always good. More, more voices, yeah, more last conversation. Last week, I was dealing with a broken trailer. Three shop visits and a thousand dollars in on-the-road repairs, and they still didn't fix it. Oh, gotta be kidding me! Yeah. Three different, Ow. three different shops over over a week, and I still ended up stopping every three hours and putting oil in the hub to keep them um, seizing up, to keep the bearings happy. Yeah. Yeah, you don't. <laughs> yeah, no, that would be bad. Hello, Pete, guys. There must be a leak going on somewhere. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, there was. How hard is it, how hard is it to find a leak? Because this, um, this, this is an axle. One, one wonders. One wonders. Uh, not exactly the simplest of systems. Oh. It could be anywhere. It could be anything. At least I got an attaboy from the last mechanic to work on it that told me that I definitely saved the bearings by continuing to stop and putting oil in it because he was when he heard the problems he was afraid the, the wheel seals and the bearing pack had had gone the way of the dodo. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that could be a lot worse. But, uh, vagarities of transportation industry—that's for sure. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, well, someone has to to get the um, products from point A to point B, and everywhere. In yeah, between. you know, in, in order for the in order for those fancy starship captains to stay in captains' logs and coffee cups, the freighter guys have to do their job. That's true. You just gotta make sure you don't get any pirates or Orion's stopping you and going, "Hey, we like to have your cargo." Hey, I'd like to have a cut. 
Oops, oh. I'm sorry. I said the I said the quiet part out loud. You'll have to bleep that, Paul. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. And thank you, Dave, for keeping me up to date on the score. It's thirteen to seven at halftime. Eagles versus Vikings, and of course, it's that time of year again, folks. It, football. It is football, and invariably, Dave likes to report the scores, and every once in a while, I like to report them. Even though it's on a podcast, and by the time you hear this, you already know what the end end result is of the game. So, and anyhow, it's always a nice little distraction in the middle. And we certainly need more of those. Amen. Amen. Well, in some, in some cases, I think we we have too many distractions, but in other cases, yeah, we need some more. Just just the, the take a chill pill and just you know, because sometimes I think the, the world takes itself too seriously. Yeah. But anyhow, let's hear from the Nanook of the North. Hey, Gary. I, you said you had a topic? <laughs> well, three of them. But um, I think I'll stick with one for now. Okay. Is, um, although before we proceed, I should note that um, uh, there's... Okay, so in the franchise, there is such a thing as a fleet museum where ships of renown get stored for posterity. Now, if you have a look on Memory Alpha, there's actually a page for it, but the page, uh, I should warn you before anyone goes to it, it's quite spoilery for anyone who has, who uh, is minded to avoid spoilers about Season 3 of Starship Picard. Hmm. So, um, before we go any further... Uh, I just want to get that out there now so that people can fast forward the podcast to whichever point we stop talking about in the game. So, uh, is, is that okay? Yeah, I understood. All right. So, um, uh, basically, if you have a look on the DBS, there's a thread in the proposals board about what the Starfleet Universe version of the Starfleet Museum might look like. Um, it includes a link to the, the article from Memory Alpha, but it also talks about a couple of the ships that thus far at least have been confirmed to be in some sort of museum within Federation space. And then there's a discussion going on in terms of like what the SSU version of the museum should look like and um, where should it be located, and a little bit about like what ships should be in there. So do you want to take a second to have a look there? Yeah. Um, what section will that be in? Is it SFB proposals? So if you go to, um, it's under, uh, well, it's under Starfleet Battles. Mm -hmm. And then the proposals board, yes. Okay. And then under um, other proposals, uh -huh. down the very, near the very bottom. Uh, it's actually near where the, the discussions about uh, Solians oh. in Omega that we are having before. I mean the Star it's, the Starfleet Museum? That. That's the one, yes. Okay. Okay. Got a zinny with me. So, uh, so yeah. Um, there's actually a surprising number of uh, quote-unquote hero ships that are in the franchise version of the museum. So, uh, I guess for the purpose of Comparing and contrasting uh, what should be in the Starfleet Universe version. I don't know if it would be worth uh, bringing up the memory alpha page or not. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I brought it up actually. Do that. What? 
Yeah, screwball. Saying personally, I would guess that the Starfleet Museum would have its own dedicated civil base station, plus a maintenance dock capable of servicing at least one museum ship at a time. Which makes sense. Oh, that's yeah. yeah. So uh, that's about the the one that the Starfleet Universe would have. Because um, basically, um, my line of thinking was that. Um, well, the Starfleet Universe version. Actually, before we go into the Starfleet Universe one, should we talk a bit more about what the franchise one is like? Yeah. All right. So, basically, um, the franchise one is, um, as of 2402, is located in some other star system, so it's not in the Sol system. And it's based around the old Space Dock 1, which somehow has been transport, uh, tra transplanted to this new system. So unlike in the SFU where once you go to Starbase, that's it. Um, they were somehow able to basically tug the, the old Starbase Space Dock 1 from Earth to um, this new system. And so the, the, space, the, the space dock has been converted into uh, the, the, the housing area for the museum. So some of the ships are docked internally and others what they've done is that they've, um, they've constructed these ring-shaped observation platforms. So when the ship is docked in the middle of the circle, you, the visitors in the, the museum, can walk around the circle and look at the ship but before you actually go on board the ship, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So the idea is and, you, uh, you, you could actually around, walk around the ship while you're out, out in space. Correct. So you don't have to be in a spacesuit to get a 360 review of right. the ship. But mm -hmm. I guess they, they do have, like, you know, the ability to go on board them as well. So. Hmm. Okay. Now, uh, there's actually a fair, as you can see on the list there, there's actually a fair number of um, quote unquote hero ships that have been retired to the museum. So it's um, uh, the NX-01 is there, um, and the Enterprise A from the movies, and the Enterprise, well, one of them is a big spoiler for Picard in particular. So again, well, <laughs> we've got across that Rubicon, I suppose, but just to triple reiterate, um, basically the um, another Enterprise is there. And there's also the Voyagers there, or Voyager, the, the of course. one from the TV show Voyager. Right. And yes, well, because there's a couple other Voyagers after. There's also um, the Defiant, the, the second one from Deep Space Nine. So not the one from the uh, In the Mirror Darkly from Enterprise, or from the original series. And there's actually a Constitution class ship in there too. But, um, and if you look at the picture, you can see that it doesn't look like the one from Strange New World. It actually looks, well, you can you can tell the audience what it looks like. Mm -hmm. Okay, are you talking about the Jersey? The New Jersey, yes. Now, of course, it's not the same as the New Jersey in the SFU, but no one would expect it to be. Right. Um, but it uh, does have a, a more kind of Starfleet Universe compliant look to it. 
Oh, okay. Cool. Obviously, folks in the podcast definitely gonna want to um, either bring up memory alpha fandom, or possibly um, actually watch the video version of the podcast this time. That'd be great help. Got the USS Argo, which yeah. I'm not familiar with that ship. Saber class ship, Federation Starfleet Museum at Anfram for the early 20th century. It was displayed on the lower ring pick of the bounty. Yeah, yeah so there's actually a couple of um, non Starfleet ships in there. There's, so there's the um, there's the Klingon Fortifray, which is from the Circuit Court. And then there's the the Katinga class that's from the Undiscovered Country, Kronos one. Mm -hmm. And there's a Romulan ship in there too, uh, Old Starbird of Prey. Although it looks a bit more like the ones that they had in other more recent series too. So, but um, yeah, it's actually interesting to see because um, when you think about the way in which the Constitution class has been kind of reimagined in both Discovery and in Strange New Worlds, mm -hmm. it's it's good to see that. Um, New Jersey in the museum looks like Matt Jeffrey's design, so it hasn't been entirely, uh, uh, you know, decanonized, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But because um, I think the interesting way to split the difference could be that um, maybe in the future they could do an episode of Strange New Worlds where they they encounter the New Jersey, and the New Jersey looks the way it goes there, even while the the Strange New World Enterprise looks the way it looks, it looks as it is right now. So it'd be a way to basically say that, you know, both incarnations exist in the franchise still. Yeah, I, I, I like the Strange New Worlds. Uh, I, like, I like that that show. Mm -hmm. Although I got to say, I actually think that the... Um, the Strange New World version of Enterprise would actually look, I would see it more as like a, a parallel equipped version of the Constitution refit rather than the OG 1701, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like if you didn't, if you hadn't seen the ship from the motion picture and someone said, here's what a refit Enterprise would look like, you could see the Strange New World ship version, it could look could work for that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, agreed, agreed. That, that, which is, of course, Overall, when you think about it, it's hard to because <laughs> this is always the, the gotcha with this stuff, which is okay. the The original series was created, you know, back in the days before they really had all the CGI and all these nice glass panels and that kind of thing. You know, it was pretty, you know, you're still pretty much physical objects that you controlled. Um, and that was the thought, that was the thinking back in the 60s. Versus today, mm -hmm. everything is just a, a piece of glass that you then modify and control. And which we saw with the 2000, with the 2009 refit enterprise. Exactly. Um, 
<laughs> but the problem is, who are strange in the world? Strange in the world. The 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 the, the UI design supposed to be pre the original series, but it definitely looks post the original series when it comes to look and feel. Um, and Lord knows, when it comes to Star Trek the original series, the one thing that drives me crazy, I've got a copy, a nice yellow container of the whole original series episodes, all of them. One thing that drives me crazy, they did not leave the original um, hand-created you know, models in space. They made them more modern CGI for the space scenes, which to me just kills it. Because you go back and forth between the backgrounds that are, are the internals, you know, interior scenes uh, on the Enterprise compared to the exterior scenes of the Enterprise, and they're completely different in the look and it's feel. Like, it, it was like That's the CGI remaster of the original yeah. series. Uh, and nowadays, if you yeah. want to try to buy the, uh, the original series for, for, for home viewing, the uh, CGI remasters are about all you can find. I went looking to, to try to, to yeah. buy the original series or the animated series recently, and Paramount doesn't allow it to be sold anymore. You can watch it all you want if you subscribe to their monthly subscription service. Which one? Paramount, Paramount Plus? Plus. Okay. Yeah, I just canceled mine. <laughs> well, it, yeah, they they make the uh, they make the they make the yar out of it. Let's put it that way. Him, yeah, for some people. The uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that whole thing about like when they remaster all the space scenes and the rest looks like you know the 1960s sci-fi stuff. It's like, well. Yeah, I think the big problem that you have with the newer stuff is that it's all it's 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 a matter of how it's relevant for everybody today. I because you've got what fifty years something plus of um, technological advance between in the real world between when the series was put out and like now. Yeah, and not to mention the fact that it's done on a shoestring compared to like what what they do now for anything. So and one of my favorite things is, is the original series and the animated series that followed it. Um, the first of the first couple of seasons of Next Generation, not so much. But uh, they all were produced thinking that they would be consumed on a device that only had to preserve 238 lines of resolution. And nowadays we're selling devices that have 2100 plus lines of resolution. It's just a little bit of additional detail oh, yeah. fills in the gaps quite well now and it's just 
it's one of those things. Um, if you look at the old stuff um, that's been cleaned up as best as possible without changing it, a lot of people prefer that. The people that go back and, you know, I, I, I'm of the opinion that when they did the CGI remaster of the original series, they went right down the middle of, we're going to preserve what the fans love and we're going to make it look good on modern hardware versus let's show them what this should have looked like in the first place, which is giving it, giving it the Lucas treatment mm. um, to, to mention a different fandom. But um, mm. the, uh, <laughs> the, the thing is, is that it's absolutely, you're absolutely right. The, the reimagination can sometimes destroy that which you're trying to preserve. And it's, it's one of the more annoying things when you see someone pick up the, the rights to an old favorite and <clears throat> not treat it the way you wish it would be treated. Well, I think that's a safe way to put it. Mm -hmm. As long as I don't mess with my banana splits, we'll be okay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Yeah, well, that, 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 is the, that is the biggest issue, especially for those people who grew up watching it. I know, mm -hmm. I know, we're getting old. I understand that, but um, <laughs> there's, a, there's a, a bit about it, you know, about uh, remembering the way it was, then trying to make it modern instead of making it a time capsule of the way it looked, and and. The, enjoying it for what it was you know turning around and finding any additional resolution available from old film prints to make a really good hd remaster is like making sure there's no rust and fresh paint on the museum ship it's important but there's only so much you can do before you start telling your story over the top of the story everybody came to see mm -hmm. and lord knows I'm not sure you remember um, the Hollywood Fire. Yeah. You know, where we lost all of those original film. You know. Yeah, that was horrible. That was horrible. I mean, that, that was, that was at, at the great yeah. loss in in our history, right there. Before they, before they could ever be digitized, you know, the high resolution digitization could, could occur, they're gone. You know, so any, any of those that were there, it's gone. Those films are gone. You know, at best case scenario, we'll have lower resolution um, copies around. The second or third generation copies, rather than than duplication masters. Yep, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but anyhow. Um, yeah, getting back to the original topic, which is basically about, okay, this is what, the, you know, the, the quote-unquote um, historic version is, or basically Paramount's version, not from Paramount, but from the fan. The franchise, franchise version. Yeah, right. Um of what the Starfleet Museum would would be for you know for the Lord knows the the, the multiple movies and um, uh, um, TV shows and so forth, which 
I'm going to bring this up once, and then we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna move on. Which is, I actually watched the last um, um, season of Star, Star Trek Strange New Worlds. And the one thing that's like, I can't believe they did, was they did a crossover with Lower Decks. The animated <laughs> series. What? You know, I I couldn't believe it. I I swear it was purely it was purely to introduce anyone who's watching Stranger Worlds. Oh, there's, you know, there's an animated series over here called Lower Decks. I'm sure you'd enjoy. So, <laughs> anyhow, got that. Come on. Okay, got that on my great. system. Got that on my system. So we don't. <laughs> I, won't, I won't bring that up again. But okay, now for that's that's for the Gary calls it the franchise the museum. It's actually it's fandom. It's the fans who who created this and um, not Paramount. So no, well it is. No, what I'm saying is that those that 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 thing that you see on the the Memory Alpha wiki. Right. Those are actually from Star Trek Record Season 3 because they went to the Fleet Museum and the way in which it's presented on Memory Alpha reflects what was shown on screen. So mm-hmm. until Season 3 is hard, there have only been random references to there being a Fleet Museum. But the one that you see on that uh, wiki page is it. Like, it's actually the one that they portray like in the television show. Right. That's but, um, and actually, it's funny enough you mentioned it because... That episode of uh, Strange New Worlds at Lower Decks, there's actually a plot point that refers to the NX-01 in the Fleet Museum uh, in terms of a way of, of solving an issue that they have in the episode. Yes. So it's funny that, <laughs> that you're, you're complaining about that episode, but that episode actually ties into the whole Fleet Museum concept that we're, we're trying to dig out here. So. Mm-hmm. I, I missed I missed that, that reference. I, I didn't miss the reference to NX-01, and basically the part of the NX-01 was like each... As they mentioned in this in that one, which is basically each consecutive um, enterprise, there's a little piece of the original enterprise in the in the pre in the next next one, which was an interesting thought. You know, n- never heard of that before, um, but it de- definitely that was cool. That, that, that was a cool thing. Um, Although. Um... They don't actually keep the NX-01 as it was seen on the TV show because in the novel they speculated on a refit that would add a sec- that would kind of like bolt a secondary hole to the bottom of the ship. And it's that version was actually canonized for the first time in that episode of Picard because the one that's in the museum has the sticky on bit that was put on there rather than being the um, the actual OG ship. So not entirely sure how I feel about that, but anyway. So... Uh, but to get back to the Starfleet universe, right. um, there's about three, there's, there's two ships for sure, which are confirmed to be in the Starfleet Museum. And they were both, they're both galactic survey cruisers. And oh. not coincidentally, they're both named after NASA orbiters that um, suffered grim fate in, re- in the real world. Because I believe that ADB have a moratorium on those two ships because they want to pay respect to the real life astronauts whose lives were lost on board those orbiters. So right. that's why um, you'll never see a scenario with the Columbia or the Challenger. Right. Um, that's why um, 
in the write-up for the collective survey cruiser history, it specifies that they're both put into the museum afterwards. So they for sure are there. And um, on top of that, there's a couple of ships that are quote-unquote museum ships, but it's not formally stated that they're in the Starfleet Museum, although I suspect they are. And one of them is actually the Constitution itself, the NCC 1700. So just the same way that the real world uh, uh, floating, you know, wood, wooden uh, constitution is parked up in Boston and sails around now and then because the it's still a, it's still seaworthy. The uh, 17 NCC still in commission. Yep, that's right. The 1700 basically is treated the same way. So it does go out on cruises now and then, but it, it is birthed in a museum otherwise. So I would just say it's the Starfleet Museum. So, but um, I thought it was actually funny because when you think about the whole idea of museum ships, if all the wood that's in the the, the real life constitution, it's probably gone through the whole ship of Theseus thing um, quite a few times by now because there's not probably not that much left aboard the current ship that was there 200 years ago or so because you know the wood rots and it has yep. to be replaced and. Yeah. metal rusts and it has to be replaced and so forth forever. So there's basically the process of maintaining the the form and structure and I guess spirit of the ship right. uh, even if the original components have been claimed by history. Right. So, the only thing um, that, that, that kind of think about it that way. Yeah, the only thing that could possibly be of two hundred years history, I would think is definitely the cannons. Because they're metal, you know. I would think they would they would last two hundred years. Also, um, um, I'm not sure. Just as an aside on that, you could probably look that up on their website. But I would say that a good bit of that, the wood from that ship is still probably original. And I mean, like the interior framework, mm -hmm. more than anything else. So it's a possibility that. Because it doesn't always just, you know, rot away, so to speak. Who knows? I mean, that's that's a really good question and one that uh, is probably going to be only solved by looking that up through the uh, the historical preservation information at the uh, the ship's, uh, you know, earthing, whatever they have, uh, park, whatever the park service does for it. Uh, and uh, there was actually something similar that happened in Japan with the, um, the pre-Dreadnought battleship Mikasa, where um, at some point after the Pacific War, um, there was another ship similar to it, I think in Peru or somewhere like that, or somewhere. It was basically, it was being decommissioned itself or being scrapped or whatever. And so uh, crews from oh, the USS Nimitz, there was obviously some, some American ship, whatever. Um, basically, they worked together with the, the J... The, the Japanese uh, Maritime Subsurface Force, uh, or whoever it was who manages the ship, to basically uh, uh, extract uh, whole segments and other components from the the South American ship to basically restore the Mikasa, the the, the Japanese one, to uh, a, a workable standard. But then bear in mind the Mikasa is actually in concrete; it doesn't float in the water, because that was basically one of the um, the terms by which it was assigned a museum ship. And that's basically what saved it at the end of the Second World War too, because it was already a museum ship. So there was there was no 
reason to do anything about it other than to try to preserve it. So, but um, so yeah. Anyway, um, what was I getting at? Yeah. So when it comes to the Starfleet universe, um, so we don't know for sure um, where the museum is and who runs it and what other kind of ships they have. Right. But there are a few ideas that have been posted in the thread. Mm-hmm. So I myself, um, I'm actually kind of interested in the idea of putting it near Callisto because um, uh, there's actually in the real world, there's a number of probes that are going to be heading, uh, they're either on the way to the jogging system or they're getting ready to be launched. So, um, and uh, one of them is mainly focused on Ganymede and uh, NASA's one is going to be focused on Europa. But apparently China is thinking of uh, sending one to Callisto and they might even drop a lander on the surface. So, um, but um, Callisto generally has a relatively low, at least on the surface of the moon, it's got a relatively low um, radiation count. It's only mm-hmm. like 0. 0.1 millisieverts, or I keep mixing up rams and millisieverts. Anyway, but um, basically, it's it's actually lower than on Mars. So, um, if say for example, if you put the Marine Starfleet Marine Museum there, you could park a commando ship on the surface of Callisto beside like a ground-based marine museum. And the maintenance work for the ship wouldn't be that bad like by the standards that Starfleet ships are built because they've got much better radiation protection protection than um, you know our uh, craft have. Mm-hmm. So, but nonetheless, I mean, it would be a factor. And also, um, but based on what's in Prime Directive Federation, um, there are people who live in the vicinity of Jupiter, but it seems that most of them live either around Ganymede or maybe close to Io. So um, Calypso basically is a relatively blank slate, so you could put the museum there. And another reason why I think Callisto would be an option is as a political compromise, because Earth is already the most powerful planet in the Federation. It's got Starfleet, it's got the Federation Council, the President lives there, it's got the um, Starfleet Academy, it's got Earth's own National Guard, which is probably the most powerful National Guard. It's... Um, it hugs a lot of stuff. So I imagine that the other member planets, if they're basically trying to say, now hold on a second, Starfleet is not an Earth fleet, it's a Federation fleet. They might basically have to compromise in saying that you can't just have it in Earth orbit. You have, if, you, if it has to be in the solar system, it has to be somewhere that's still accessible and still maintainable, but not at Earth, or at Mars for that matter, because Mars is also a, a major Federation planet. Um, in the modern Starfleet universe era. Mm-hmm. So that's why I was thinking that Callisto could be seen as like a, a compromised uh, option, where it's still securely within the solar system in terms of making sure no one steals the ships, and also in terms of protecting, like, you know, keeping them up and running. But it's just far enough away to be politically acceptable to the other planets. Mm-hmm. True, true. That, I think that, that'd be an excellent idea. Um, I, I, my question is, I, I'm thinking about one ship that I would think would be great in the museum, which is the USS Hood. Or the, you know, I've, I remember, the, I forget, the, the actual sauce section, I know it originally survived. Was it ever destroyed? It was the saucer. It was the saucer got away, and I think they refitted it later. Uh, if I remember, correctly. there are a couple. Yes, there are, there are a couple of um, ship 
that the secondary holes were destroyed. Um, another example is the drone cruiser um, Agincourt, because um, its uh, secondary hole was lost, and then a, a new one was put on. Actually, I should note that um, this is also a plot point from Star Trek Picard in terms of um, if you recover uh, a well-known saucer and you take a secondary hole from a different ship, the ship that gets credit is the ship that the saucer was from. So <laughs> too bad for the ship from the secondary hole ship. But uh, yeah, basically um, it would appear that uh, in both universes the procedure would be to go with the name of the ship that the saucer is. So, I mean, the hood could be put there, or um, Asincourt, or um, uh, maybe the Darwin could be put in there, you know, because that ship is due to get decommissioned, or like a white two or seven, or white two eight, or something like that. So, um, uh, by then, maybe I guess the, the circumstances of the Darwin's mission will be declassified because the Andromeda more feels it. And um, but I mean, there's already two Galactic Server cruisers in the museum by then, so would a third one be overkill? But um, in any case, I actually think that um, uh, it would be interesting if the museum had at least one ship from every era of warp travel. So you've got an old uh, sublight ship from the First Romulan War, then you've got a warp refitted ship, you've got an earlier ship. Well, it, we already know they've got a couple of like, quote-unquote modern ships. And then maybe an X-ship or something like, say if there's um, one of the X-ships from the Andromeda more is um, doesn't have a long service life left because uh, some of the X ships were built using um, so you have to build an X ship using peacetime methods. But any of the ships that were basically peacetime versions of wartime hulls, they don't have the same uh, longevity as a true peacetime peacetime ship. So right. for example, if you look at module module X one R. You can build an X ship that looks like a new heavy cruiser. You can't convert one because the structure is not sound enough on the, the original NCA to upgrade it. But even if you do that, the resulting NAX, it's a capable ship tactically, but it doesn't have the same operational range as uh, a heavy an X tech heavy cruiser built on the, the Constitution framework. So um, after several years of, of work, of use, the ship is probably going to get worn out more quickly than um, the likes of the the GSX or any of the the, the XX ships based on peacetime hulls. So it's quite possible that eventually they'll have to put they can put one of them in the museum um, if there's no more use for it. Um, otherwise, especially once the X2 ships come to replicas, mm -hmm. they'll be the new hotness, and then Starfleet will have to decide um, how they're going to. Um, uh, have a look at their the status of the fleet and go from there. So after being drawn in more, I should say. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I would I would think that the um, voice, sorry, um, the, one, the, the one thing I would think that might be an issue at all it would be, one, one obviously the, the museum would, would be set up in the 200 year range. You know, why 200? Some, some time after that. Um, when the second generation ships, seven second generation X ships have been built, and therefore, um, some you know the technology so like you know no one would actually um, fail the Constitution class ship, you know the the actual Constitution, 
you know, for for battle. <laughs> you know, I might do it for a good peace, a peace tour possibly. Because I remember, I'm I'm not sure if y'all remember. I know I do. Which is in 1976, the whole big tall ships in Baltimore, and, and also I think they might have done it also in other um, cities. Which was yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, the Centennial Fleet thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. I I'm, I think I still have a copy of the um, the Baltimore Sun or the News American. I forget which. Having it on the front page, the you know the tall ships, which were beautiful. Um, I don't think I ever, I didn't, I definitely did not get down to the inner Harbor to go see them, you know, close and personal. I wish I would have, but it was, it was, it was nuts. It was, it was a great, big crowd, big surprise. It was a big thing to happen. Um, but anyway, uh, but the reason why I say that is that I'm wondering if for from some, some of the foreign ships, you know, some of the maybe maybe a Klingon ship, a Romulan ship, an important you know Klingon ship, but a Romulan ship or a Gorn ship or a Tholian ship that was that was considered important to the overall history of the Starfleet universe. You know, um, and I at the moment. Well, that um, that goes into um, like what the actual infrastructure of the museum has. So, uh, as you mentioned earlier, um, I was basically thinking that uh, the museum can't have things that the active duty Starfleet needs. So, um, they can't have, like, a a starbase, and they can't have, like, a a production fleet yard, a a slipway, like a slipway that can build new ships, because Starfleet and also the Federation police and the National Guards and so forth, they need those. So, but however, there are a number of civilian base stations scattered around Federation space that do not show up on the Federation Empire hex map because they're not military bases. Mm-hmm. And so it's, I was thinking that that would be the largest uh, space-based installation that the museum could have that would not have someone called dibs on it, so to speak. And also... There is such a thing as a maintenance dock where you have a flipway that can't build new ships, but it can help uh, repair and restore the ones that you already have. So um, one of those in the vicinity of the station, both in orbit of Callisto or whatever, um, those I think would be, and together with any ground-based installations on the surface of the moon, I, I personally think would be appropriate in terms of being able to maintain the collection um, without asking questions in terms of like people trying to, you know, wipe it for use, like in the next time Warp is there. So, um, but it does probably mean that um, maybe you might have to, like, if you do ever put an X ship into the um, into the collection, does that mean that you have to uh, upgrade the base station to X technology in order to keep track, keep 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 um, you know have access to the equipment you need to be able to maintain that ship or does that ship have to get sent back to earth or mars or something to be serviced if a servicing is required um so i guess there's all that kind of stuff going on but um any of the older ships stuff stuff i think would be manageable 
um, with just those two pieces of equipment and whatever's on the surface. So, um, yeah. I, I feel like in that, in that situation where you have an X-ship, I would think you could have the maintenance facility for an X-ship without actually upgrading the base itself to be an X-base. You know, I, I think that that would definitely could, could be possible. It's just like the um, you have some of the older technology that they, they do that today where, you know, you you might build an old, you have some older technology which is used to build an older part which can otherwise could, could never be built. You know, built to the same specification or built the same way and possibly last the same amount of time. Um, so I, I think that'd be this, the same kind of thing. Um, but it's, obviously there's there's political things uh, will be involved if you ever try to get um, non-federation ships into the into a feder into a federation. Well, it's considered a federation museum. Um, I would hope at that point in history that the that the universe would be peace uh, peaceful enough time where you know some of the older ships that that these these um, empires have they might be able maybe willing you know to have them in the mu in a shared museum in which case obviously it would it couldn't be around Seoul. It wouldn't be in the Seoul system if if you'd have other empires um, kind of volunteering to donate to the museum. And if, if if that if you'd have actually other empires actually donating ship like like Kang's um, flagship or something along those lines. Well, there'd probably be, I should also point out, there's actually um, a Vulcan museum ship from the early years as well, although it's not specified that it's in the Starfleet Museum or elsewhere. Um, so according to the early years material, and also the Federation of Master Starship book, um, the Vulcans built two um, uh, early years clan cruisers. One of them was destroyed, but the other one was actually, it hosted the negotiations for the treaty that ended the first war of the community. So uh, the Vulcans themselves didn't really care because they thought it was illogical to keep the ship just for that. Mm -hmm. But the other planets on the council basically voted to keep the ship as a museum. Now, I would say that basically the, the logic of that is that, logic, is that the Vulcans would say, all right, well, it's yours now. So you know, they don't want to have to pay for the upkeep on Vulcan, at Vulcan. So they would basically donate the ship to the Starfleet Museum, and then it would be their... Um, as part of the representation of the early years um, history. Mm -hmm. uh, basically, also one of the important things about the museum is that um, at the very beginning of uh, Wolf Travel, there was no such thing as a Starfleet in the first place. It was only the, the member planet. And then when Starfleet was formed, initially its ships were all donated ships from other species, like the, the saucer and the cell ship didn't appear until about a decade after Starfleet itself was founded. So those ships in, in themselves are their critical transition points in terms of representing um, the evolution of Starfleet as an organization. 
So mm -hmm. there's plenty of reason why Starfleet would want that ship, uh, even if it wasn't because of the, the, the treaty ship. But yeah, so well, I guess the, the other thing too would be um, the maintenance because um, uh, it would have like bespoke Vulcan technology on board and so forth that would be different than the standardized technology aboard the saucer and the cell Starfleet ships, or for that matter, aboard the old Earth ships like the Texas Satellite Cruiser that uh, Starfleet would have um, an institutional knowledge of. Right. So there's probably a couple of um, exchange officers from the Vulcan National Guard who are seconded to the museum in order to make sure that the, uh, the other species don't mess up their ship. <laughs> Technically speaking, Vulcan, as a planet, has given up the ship. Now, in terms of, like, they, they probably won't be able to refuse the money that the museum would pay to hire consultants to make sure that everything is uh, legit, so to speak. Right. So basically, if someone else is paying for it, then that's no problem. But um, so yeah, so there actually is such a thing as um, a Starfleet Bureau of History. So in universe, you know how like in, in the real world, um, there's like the Naval Academy Press, and there's like all these different um, <coughs> institutions that write history books and stuff. So the in the Starfleet universe, the Bureau of History actually writes history books, and they turn a profit because they sell it to a civilian market. So. Um, if you want like a history of the Andromeda War or a history of such and such a ship, they're often the ones to write those books, and then the proceeds, I guess, go to them. So um, I imagine they've probably got a, a, an office, if there is a civilian station assigned to where the museum is. They've most likely got several offices there where people who maybe knew, you know, people who want to study those ships, you know, to write the next, you know, wave of books, actually have direct access to them. Mm -hmm. And there's probably all these like guys who are doing things like um. Okay, so if you think in our in our world, there's a movie like Master and Commander, and they went and took 3D scans of the Constitution in order to create the Acheron from the movie, and so they wanted to try and basically make it as authentic as they could, even though the French didn't actually have a a ship of that kind historically, so because I guess they didn't want the movie to be set in the War of 1812 and have the Americans be the better. But um, the um, the there's a bunch of tri-video uh, recordings there, things that are basically sold in universe as well. So I imagine there's probably a lot of um, research teams from those big production studios who go to the museum and ask to film on board ships, or at least to um, you know, take measurements and take reference notes and so forth, so that if they do their own version of, like, a, a show set during XYZ time period, because I guess to them, like, a, a, a historical drama set during the, the old Roman War is probably right. like us doing a story, a story set during the Battle of Jutland. So um, there'd be that, you know, demand among the Federation public to see those kind of uh, tri-video programs. So that's probably another way in which the museum makes money in that they're basically um, offering an informed uh, source of information. It's an informed source in terms of like being able to uh, access historical consultants, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Understood. Which, you know, makes sense to a certain, certain degree. I, when you talk about it, I just think about 
how the question I have, and this is, this is a philosophical and historical question kind of thing, which is one thing that I'm reminded of is that the Federation is supposed to be this utopian society where, you know, everyone's provided for. You know, obviously, if one, you can earn money. Everyone, everyone has credits and so forth. Um, but the question is how much... Where do the credits go? You know, what, what, you gonna, what, what would you will be willing to pay for credits to, to actually purchase and buy and so forth? Um, obviously, um, you're thinking that that the historical, basically, the historical the Federation Historical Society, um, I know that's not what you called it, um, the Bureau of, of History, I think is what you called it, um, would be one of those things where, you know, people, you know, that the Bureau would actually, in, would actually invest in um, the... It's not restoration, but the um, recording of history and make sure that that history that happened, the, the history of the universe, you know, I'm assuming that, um, they mainly be focused on the Federation, but they might actually have um, other um, agents that actually try to ascertain the history of other um, empires. You know, without without revealing any, you know, try to reveal any secrets about what happened in, in the history of like the Klingons or, or the Romulans, you know, the kind of little exposés where like the whole what happened, what truly happened on Romulus or Remus, you know, those kind of you know clickbaity <laughs> of titles, you know. Which is, well, just think about well, it. Um, bear in mind that if, according to the um, Prime Directive RPG, there is still such a thing as money in the Starfleet universe. Right. Um, since the uh, Prime Directive Federation actually goes into a little bit in terms of like how the social um, system works. But there are still corporations, and I mean, there's still uh, minerals like dilithium and so forth, whatever that. Um, well, I mean, dilithium is rare in the franchise too, but. Um, basically, um, the other thing too is that the Starfleet universe, you can't really rely on things like replication because, um, like, if you try to replicate something, um, for one thing, the way the SFU has it is that um, you can actually, if you own a replicator, you can actually put it like, almost like a word mark in the replication. Right. So, like, when you produce an object, it's got like a stamp to show where you got it and which empire it's from, that sort of thing. But also, uh, replicated objects, the more complicated they get, the more difficult it is to replicate them. And also, the more fragile they get. So, uh, you can't build, like, a part that needs to be used in a thing. Like, the, the, most, like, the best thing for replication is, like, um, maybe, like, a shield from, like, a, a pre-industrial planet or something. Um, but you can't really replicate, like, a phaser because... Um, the the mechanisms are too like it just won't function properly. Right. So, like things like starships and other kind of equipment and so forth, they have to be made in order to work. So, 
Um, right, certain parts are too unstable. To you know, extract like, the resources you know. and refine them and refine them further and have people go to university to learn how to um, build the parts to build the parts and so forth. So there's still an economy, so to speak, mm -hmm. uh, within the Federation. And uh, of course, each uh, advance of technology uh, changes it because the ships get faster, the the, the efficiency of the engines gets better, so things are cheaper. Um, ranges of transporters get extended. Um, new, you know, new like for example, like when X technology was first discovered, um, a lot of the uh, the rare minerals that are used for X tech, um, they were previously they were only mined in relatively small numbers because they were only used for very uh, particular industrial applications that there was right. no major use for them. Suddenly, you needed a ton of it because you needed to build entire ships out of it. So that's why there was such a big, after the general war, there was such a big uptick in um, people basically taking workboats and going on um, survey missions to try to find these things and then build an entirely new industry to be able to extract these new resources and then how to refine them and then how to ship them into the shipyard so that you could actually produce the new X ships in, mm. in scale. So um, that itself had a major impact on what the, the, the shape of the, of the, the economy of the various empires looked like. So, yeah, it's, it's, really, it's interesting in that way. But, um, yeah, and, and then also when it comes to um, uh, like in, uh, communications and stuff, because there's different levels at which um, subspace communications advance. And that not only has a military in, in impact in terms of like, if you're the admiral at the service and you're interfering in your captain's job <laughs> or stopping them from doing something stupid, um, but it also has a uh, civilian application because if you work for like um, you know, Federation news media or whatever like that, um, you suddenly have a much bigger audience in terms of being able to broadcast, not quite live, but almost live. You'd be able to disseminate information and, you know, watch sports programs or, um, you know, rally shows. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe there's like a future version of the British Baking Show or something like that. You know. <laughs> but, um, so there's there's like there's all these different, um, you know, and I also every time a new planet joins the Federation, they've got like a whole vast supply of movies and TV shows or track videos you want to call them, stage plays and so forth, and then every time those come onto the market, they're basically uh, enriching the broader federation uh, in terms of being able to learn about these things and, you know, incorporate them into pre-existing stories or coin new ones and so forth. So, yeah, there's definitely, um, um, there's a lot more about the, the lived inside of the perfect universe that could be uh, expanded upon. Mm -hmm. So, because um, hopefully the museum uh, would actually be a factor in terms of, um, Helping to kind of shape some of that in it as it pertains to Starfleet. Hey, you still there? Yeah, um, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. It's... Oh, okay. <laughs> I was reading the, the oh, last yeah, process all time. Yeah, I was reading the last, <laughs> the last post. Oh, just to keep dead silent. On the, um, the Star, yeah. Starfleet Museum. 
um, which was Jeff Weil. Yeah, Jeff Weil. Just talking about transporter relays and how setting up how to set up the museum and all that kind of thing. Which is I don't know if um how much of a thing transporter relays are outside of the Ring Nebula and Omega because the rings have a pervasive network that basically stretches from one side of the the nebula to the other. So on the inside I should say. So you can literally beam yourself from one planet in their space all the way to the other in blink of an eye. And uh, like, say, for example, their ships, they actually have a transporter link box on them. So uh, say, for example, if there's um, a crew member who's on leave on the other side of the nebula, and he, uh, like your, your ship needs to be brought back to duty, uh, he basically beams himself through the network and then walks aboard your ship um, using the transporter link. And you know, so there's all these kind of things and so forth. But for non-Rin empires, um, transporters um, have a much shorter range, but there doesn't seem to be anything I've seen, at least that I've seen in the rules, that say that you can create such a thing as a repeater station. Or even if you have like daisy chain ships, um, it's not clear as to like, if you have ship A to B to C, do you have to fully materialize a person on ship B and then wait a minute before you beam them to the next ship? Or is there some sort of safety issue like this? Does that increase the risk of turning the, the crew member into goo? Um, so I don't know whether or not it actually is practical to um, uh, rely on transporters in that way. I think right. you might need to still get aboard a shuttlecraft and, uh, or board a, a freighter line or something like that and have it take you to wherever else in the solar system needs to go, even if it's like a moon of a planet that you're on. Mm-hmm. And there's an expression because we don't know, or even having an idea of how much data that actually is, because basically it's sending a signal. With with and then that signal is a digitized version of ourselves, or of a person, um, and then they're reconstituted at the at the other end. Then the question is that is how much data it does that take, you know, to do that? Because you're transferring, you're basically doing a certain, basically a, ban, a, a dump from one computer system to another computer system. It come, comes down to it. You know, there's, there's definitely certain, in my mind, certain technical issues that are hand-wavy <laughs> at the moment when it comes to, um, Transport, which is the whole idea of transporting to a location that doesn't have a another transporter to, to receive that information, because right the whole idea is that you're, when you transport down, you're basically you're beaming, you're sending a beam down, and then you're reconstituting remotely to that location. Is what you're doing, and same for when it comes to transporting up, you're you're basically scanning the person remotely to then take you know take their their, their material essence and transforming that into energy and bringing it onto the ship you know so it's like eh. I have some issues with well, that well there is um, in prime directive there is a, a die roll modifier 
if you're beaming between two transporter pads relative to beaming to or from, uh, or if you're beaming to uh, like a location that doesn't have one. So right. presumably um, any kind of surface facility would have its own um, uh, transporter facilities and pad and so forth, like for accepting uh, tourists or whatever like that. So oh, but, yeah. um, I guess I'll actually raise the question is um, how far in orbit of Callisto, like, say for example if the museum was at Callisto, how many hexes away from Callisto would the ships be? Like 5 or 10 or 15 or the actual base station for that matter? Like, mm-hmm. Would the base station have to be uh, only a certain number of hexes away so that there could be an emergency transport to the surface? Um, or, so, or would it be, you know, yeah, so you kind of you have to figure out like, in terms of um, uh, how accessible these things are. But bear in mind that each hex is 10,000 kilometers across, so that's still plenty of space to put ships if you're not really mm-hmm. using them on the regular. Oh, agreed. So, agreed. Agreed. As long as there's not a lot of um, flight pathy stuff going on to get in the way. Yeah, uh, agreed. And then there's probably, if you had a star base which is going to be orbiting the planet, you want it to be within transportation range in the case of emergencies where you, you can, people can actually escape, assuming that there's, there's actual, um, a place that people could actually, you know, cause I'm not, I'm not sure what the atmosphere of Callisto is. I'm assuming it's not breathable. <laughs> well, you, you, anyone who living, everyone living there would have to have like, um, uh, some sort of either domed facility or like an underground, um, thing set up. So, I mean, if you're in a spacesuit, you can walk on the surface and right. radiation levels are not that bad. But you still need to be like in a dome or in an underground facility to actually live. Right. Right. Which is, you know. Well, there actually apparently there might be a, an underwater ocean underneath the coastal surface because um, they reckon that there's actually quite a few of the larger moons in the outer solar system that's. Um, might have at least some sort of ocean underneath it. So mm-hmm. that might basically help with the habitability in terms of um, as long as there aren't any pre-existing life forms that there's a risk of contamination either way. So if the water is relatively inert, then like any colonists like in the circuit universe who are living on Callisto, they'd be able to maybe draw from that if they need to, as long as there's like, you know, the, the, some sort of water processing plant that's required or whatever. So. So maybe, maybe there's like a, you know the way there's like Fiji water and there's like water from a spring. Maybe in the future they'll be like, here's Calippo water, or uh, <laughs> uh, you know all this kind of like. <laughs> Talk about the yeah, most expensive really water in the universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, why am I paying extra for this water from Jupiter? Yeah, from Jupiter's uh, moons, but or Enceladus water. You know, I could just like it's someone like the. They'll uh, stand in their spacesuit and hold like a giant cup over and just wait for the next uh, plume to come out. And then they'll just like watch the water go into the thing and then like, oh yeah. <laughs> but um, mm-hmm. that might be more for the Futurama version of the satellite. So. But uh, yeah, so the final thing for now, because I guess we're getting late, is um, I should note that there are other uh, possibilities that people are posting in the thread. So I don't want to claim that I've got the answers because ADB are the ones who want the answers, if ever. But um, one other uh, proposal in the thread was to um, basically turn over one of the outer pods at uh, Earth's starbase and have it exclusively be for the museum. And then basically um, 
any ships that aren't in there have them docked externally to the starbase, and then basically just have it uh, at Earth regardless. So um, I don't necessarily, because I don't necessarily think that Starfleet would want to turn over so much uh, active duty space to the museum there. Right. And uh, so I don't know whether it would be practical, but I guess there's different ways that things can be practical and impractical. So, right. And, um, and the people that think that this or some other way is better, then they're welcome to join the, to join the talk on the DBS and either, you know, that you. Agreed. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Uh, give me a little more light. Mike. But I guess the key thing is to make sure that um, it doesn't look too franchisey because you don't want Paramount. I mean, even though the concept of a museum, the Soviet Museum, was committed to print a long time before Star Trek Picard Season 3 was aired, nonetheless, it's always wise yeah. to avoid the impression that you're duplicating what the franchise is. I, the franchise is going to be that uptight about idea of a museum they gotta get a life because that, that's a generic I, in my mind that's a generic idea we have the hall of fame you know which uh, which is a historical museum we've got the whole you know the rock and roll hall of fame we've got all these kind of we got the american museum which is just for about american art you've got the space museum but the the previous you know um adventures of you know of our, of our astronauts and the whole idea of, of space itself the idea of having a museum to the past of the past history is normal it's it's part of every you know of it's not it's not a unique idea that they can say oh we have we had now the only, the only issue would be obviously if we use IP, itself to you know in that in that category then then we might have a problem but i don't think the whole idea of a museum they could they should be able to get upset about that i meant more in the sense that it can't be seen as being directly created from the way the structure for card show the franchise museum Right. Well, it, so for example, well, it comes to look um, at look and feel. We can't have, even though there are ships named Enterprise, right? There are ships named Enterprise in the SFU, but we're never going to see them. So we're probably not going to have one of those in, in the franchise museum. And also, that's also another reason why I'd be wearing of using a Starbase because the franchise museum has a, a big space dock, and if you use a, a Starfleet Universe franchise, that's not in, that's Closer in spirit, if that makes sense, because having a smaller space station with a construction dock, there's much more conceptually a gap from that compared to what the franchise is doing. Yeah, but as long as they, we can use the star base, as long as our star base doesn't look like theirs, we're fine. And our, the 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 way star bases look like in the Star Trek universe are completely are definitely different from the Starfleet universe. They look two different two they look two different ways. So we're not copying their IP. 
my the idea of a museum maybe but i don't think you can copyright or have the ip based on the idea of having a museum so no for the love of god no no if they're upset about anything it's the fact that they're just not able to do that and that they can't make money off of your idea but that's essentially what that comes down to true agreed agreed so Okay, well, I got I got to shut things up so I can go to bed. <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, before you do that, though, after you're done with the show, I want to talk for like two minutes. Okay, we'll do. Oops, somehow Jeff got, got a question for you. Sorry, Jeff, you got muted. I assume you got. Hey, Jeff. Oh, it happens. Yeah, I it happens you... every time I drop. Yeah, yeah. I I wasn't paying attention to what was happening in the actual talk too. So. I apologize if you wanted to say anything during all of our, our talking. That's okay. You know, about 40 minutes of, of silence, kibitzing. I mean, hey, it's about like, you know, family dinners, you know, for Thanksgiving. <laughs> understood. Understood. Well, uh... <laughs> gentlemen, it's always a pleasure. Gary, always great having you around. You have a good night. Thank you. Have a good night. Jeff, keep on trucking. Stay safe out there. You know, <laughs> keep everything oiled up. I'll do that. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night. Doug, it's always fun having you around. You have yeah. a good night. Thanks. So, had a nice little topic on the idea of a Starfleet Universe Museum on the past history of of the star from the universe and what what ships obviously we didn't, we didn't get too deep into other ships because i would love i i think some of the ideas for some of the um other empires would have been interesting I, I, unfortunately i don't know that many and i'm i mean and obviously the whole idea of this would be it'd be a ship that survived you know the war um that might be and obviously as, as i mentioned it's part of it is that if you'd want to have it so that it was a general a museum for all empires then obviously it had to be moved it could probably still be in federation space but it just couldn't be next to seoul and it had to be someplace that could easily be um traveled by any of the um citizens of those empires you know of course, some empires are probably more open than others. Um, and, you know, the other empires would have to be willing to donate to it if it was going to be a general one, a, one for the general SFU universe of history, you know, and those um, historical ships that really um, shaped the the universe and, and, and history, shaped history. So anyway... With that, I am Paul Franz, and I bid you a good night. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, 
even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.